SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. Thanks so much for staying with us. Uh, it's a Monday, so we touch base with Professor Beatrum Fielding as usual on a Monday. And talking all things COVID-19, he's a virologist, director of research and development at the University of the Western Cape. Welcome, uh, Prof Fielding. Uh, how are you this afternoon? Good afternoon, Pamela. I'm very good, thank you. And you? Well, we we are doing... <laughs> We are doing. We are doing. Thank you very much. I'm looking at these numbers published yesterday, Prof. And is there, I'm concerned, the South Africa recorded 1,006 new COVID-19 cases over the past 24 hours. Um, does that concern you? It concerns me somewhat. You know, Pamela, if we look at what our numbers were only a month ago, yes. uh, two months ago, then I'm, I'm not too concerned about these. If you look at our, um, our death rate, mm. um, it is much, much lower. Unfortunately, you know, as we always say, even one death is one too many, um, but it has come down dramatically. So I think for now we are over this um, second wave, but we need to be careful of that third one. I was just actually going to say, I mean, I looked at these numbers and it just takes you going on social media to look at how we have, changed behavior not necessarily for the better i'm very concerned <laughs> and you know that that is human nature um when things go bad then we we tend to do what we need to be doing and as soon as as the situation improves we go back to our old ways and we we've, we've seen over december and january what our old ways um have have resulted in so i think more than ever now even with the vaccination program we need to reinforce the mask wearing, physical distancing, stay at home when you're ill. That's one that I think we're neglecting very often as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we need to just look after ourselves and take care of those around us. Okay. So here's um, a drug maker, Merck, warning against the use of ivermectin. Uh, we've had this conversation before in treating COVID-19. How important is this flag um, by a big name like Merck? You know, Pumelo, I am I'm very concerned about both sides of the uh, of the ivermectin debate. Mm-hmm. Um, there are those who is selling ivermectin as a silver bullet, mm. and then there's the other side, um, and and where Merck comes out and says, you know, there is no proof, so don't use it. Um, I've maintained um, since day one of ivermectin, um, and since it's appeared on the horizon, um, I've, I've seen the data. Very useful in, in severe and critical cases. I do think it can play a role. And I'm very concerned about a drug maker coming out and making a statement. And then, sorry, and then a week later, you know, um, uh, announcing that they're part of vaccine development <laughs> and they have other drugs. Um, that's very worrying. I mean, I hear you. Um I hear you. So, so would you just suggest that they did not say anything about ivermectin and just continue whatever they they are doing with J and J? Because the the new announcement, as you're saying, is that they want to now you know bolster this J and J vaccine. Pumelo, you know, in in 2019, an international study was published about the confidence that people globally has in science, mm. and it was at an all time low. And I think it's at an all-time low because of the way we communicate um, science to the general public and the timing of our communications. 
especially in a climate where there is lots of fake news. We mm-hmm. must be very careful what we communicate and when we communicate it. Um, so we need to be very, very careful. The media plays a huge role in that as well. Only this week, um, there's been huge focus on a study from Colombia saying that ivermectin is not beneficial in decreasing time of symptoms in mild um, um, COVID. If you look at that study, the authors of that study is very clear. There were seven huge limitations to their study. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, looking at the different population group, looking at uh, more severe symptoms, this could still be beneficial. But somehow the media jumped on this one aspect and ran with it. So mm. it's very dangerous and very confusing for the public out there. Mm. Let's talk about pregnant women and their risk for COVID-19. Yeah, so there is, there is an increased risk. But even those papers are um, very confusing mm-hmm. because it would say something such as there is an incidence of higher preterm delivery um, Yes. For COVID? Yes. But uh, it needs to be studied further. But, Prof, weren't we discussing this uh, some time (laughs) ago, saying, the study was saying, even though there are more um, preterm births, there are no fatalities? So that is exactly the problem. So if there are fatalities, it is extremely low. And even the risk, you look at the newest study that, that came out last week, um, it was a study that looked at studies on, um, on the topic pregnancy in COVID worldwide. So they looked at all of the studies that's available. Even they said the risk is higher. You read the study, it says the risk is higher with preeclampsia, so high blood pressure in, during pregnancy, uh, gestational diabetes, so diabetes in pregnancy, diabetes, heart disease. Those things sound very similar to our risk factors. Yes. So we must be very careful, you know, what we say and how we're saying it. Is there no, though, merit in mentioning this, particularly for the newborn babies who don't seem to be getting too affected by by the virus? And you know what is the the, the, the good thing? And we've mentioned this before. Very often these babies, and there are studies out now, have maternal antibodies. Mm. So they, they, they got antibodies from mommy, mm. and they protected. And I've always said, if you look at the four common cold coronaviruses, baby has antibodies for between one and three years, after which they could then be infected again. So there are studies coming out now that says, yes, there is a risk. Um, to baby, but in majority of cases, baby can be pre- uh, preterm um, in, in small number of cases, but baby has antibodies, which means they're probably protected. Prof, how do we know that it's going to be between one and three years? It's based on what we've seen for the four common cold coronaviruses. So we, oh, I see. we, we're looking at history and we're speculating with this one. Um, and I told somebody earlier today in my very first interview, I said, this virus that causes COVID will disappear in three to six months if we look at SARS. You're joking. And, and, and obviously I was even, wrong. And, e- even and what, with the mutations that we see? No, what was the difference? SARS, um, there was no spread um, due to asymptomatic carriers. Yes. With COVID, there is asymptomatic spread. Ah. And that's why we still have COVID around. That was the huge difference. Got you. So, so it's the fact that there are some of us who are carrying it unknowingly yes. that is part of the problem. Exactly. And, and that's why each time you ask me a question, I will say based on our current data, yeah. our current knowledge, because 
This thing springs surprises every so often. If if we are assuming that baby um, is carrying these antibodies for between one and three years, can we then not deduce that the vaccine will do the same thing for us? That's what I'm hoping. Um, if you look at, um, I think we've mentioned this before as well bef- um, uh, previously, if you look at natural infections, um, there are studies now that eight months later, people are still have antibodies mm. and they still have the white blood cells. So there's hope for long-term infection. We've studied the vaccines a much shorter period of time. Mm. Will we see the same? I certainly hope so. The biggest difference is with the vaccine, we're only targeting the one protein, the spike protein. I see. National infection, there are other proteins that plays a role in immunity as well. Mm, okay. We've got a voice note coming through. Prof? Hi, Pamela. Silla here from Malbatin. Can the prof explain what natural immunity is versus uh, vaccination or immunity? If there's anything like that. Thanks. Bye. I think you've just responded to that, but go ahead, bro. I like that question. So yes. let's let's look at it from a vaccine point of view. A vaccine, you take a part of the virus, you inject it into the body, and you you fool the body into thinking that the virus has entered the body. So the immune system would be activated, similarly to what you would have in a natural infection. So I go out, I get infected by somebody else, and my body. Um, naturally makes the antibodies. The vaccine fools the body into making the antibodies. So next time when the, vac- when the virus, I, I'm actually exposed to it, my body would be ready because it has a memory of what it saw before. Hmm. Okay. Um, there is another voice note coming through, Prof. All right, we're going to skip that. I think we're just having trouble um, playing that for the minute. Okay, so we are now here where, um, unfortunately, Prof, we're not seeing many vaccines um, going around as I think we anticipated. Does the delay in rollout change the efficacy of what we have? Not necessarily, Pamela. Efficacy is that percentage of protection compared to those that were not infected, that were not vaccinated under phase three. What we're testing now is how effective the vaccine is. And the virus changing could change the effectiveness of the virus. The medication somebody could use, that somebody is using, could change the effectiveness. The age, the type of population group could change the effectiveness. So really what we're doing now in this large scale vaccination programs is looking at the safety of these vaccines on a large scale and how effective it is. If you take for AstraZeneca, for instance, Mm -hmm. there were initially it was said that the efficacy is 90, what was it, 94%. Mm -hmm. Then it was tested in South Africa Mm. and our colleague from BIT said now it's 28, 27% in, in, in younger people with a new variant. Yes. That is effectiveness. If you test it in older people, the effectiveness might be 70, 80%. So that, that study is still being done. Perhaps what I'm asking is we are also playing catch up, right? So as we try and get vaccinated, the virus itself is trying to survive. Yes. And, and, and maybe that's basically what I'm asking. I mean, I don't know when this, another mutation is going to happen. So mutations happen all the time. Yeah. As soon as somebody is infected, we do not know 
how a mutation would impact on the vaccine. So each time we have a dominant um, variant in the country, the vaccine would have to be tested in a sense. So vaccination would be done. And as soon as researchers notice or the clinicians notice, something has happened to the protection. They would then look at which variants are the dominant ones, and then they would be able to tell. Could also be tested in the laboratory. And uh, from as I know, it is being tested on, an, on a continual basis. Okay, I've got a, a very long question here um, on uh, text. Why is it that the countries with the highest death tolls from COVID are countries that lean heavily on their alliance to yearly vaccines and use of antibiotics and countries with the lowest death rates tend to be countries that don't practice annual vaccines and tend to have populations that don't rely on Western medicine for every problem and rely more on natural immune system. Ha! So we, um, I think it's also a question of reporting Professor Fielding and maybe I want you to touch on that because we don't really know for some countries how infected the population is because we're not getting accurate data. Yes. So uh, the, the data that's reported is very much dependent on the number, of t- the number of tests that are being done. And if people are asymptomatic, they do not get tested. We have tested an X number in South Africa. We're saying we have, say, 2 million infected. However, researchers are now saying up to a third of South Africans, up to 63% of South Africans uh, could have been infected before. So data is dependent on how well you test. We must be very careful about generalizations. If the, if the caller thinks about the BCG vaccine, there, were, there are studies underway that says that childhood vaccine, does it protect you from COVID in a particular way? And it's being tested in certain countries, including Iran. So there's a clear case where there's some association between a childhood vaccine and some protection. We don't know, but it is being studied. So we must be we must be very careful not to draw conclusions, um, not from scientific data. Two papers have um, um, said this week only that there's very clear evidence that the countries with the highest death rates are also the countries with the highest obesity numbers. And very interestingly, low levels of vitamin D has also been linked to countries with higher numbers um, of deaths. So those are scientifically proven studies. The others um, appears more anecdotal that the caller is mentioning. Prof, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you so Thank much. You, Professor Beatrice Fielding, virologist and director of research and development at the University of the Western Cape.